because God is love, and he that lives in love lives in God. God is love, and he that dwells in love or lives in love, 1 John says, uh, lives in God. God is love. So really a study in love is a study in God, a study of God and who God is and what God's like. Now, these, uh, my wife left to minister to the children, but uh, these, she has a tracking number for these. <laughs> so these did not come in yet, but they should be here, I'm pretty sure, for sure this week. And so we've bought one of these for all of you. And uh, it's called Love, the Secret to Success. And it's uh, from Pastor Mark Hankins. Um, and really, it's some quotes from him uh, on the pages. And then the other page is really just about, I think it's uh, nine different translations, maybe 13 translations of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. So you can kind of get a different picture of them. And then there's also quotes from the, this book that I've been quoting, um, which is Henry Drummond's book. Greatest thing in the world. I guess I can't show it to you because the front cover's off. But uh, greatest thing in the world, which you can get for free online. Oh, yeah. Here's one version of it. Uh, greatest thing in the world, Henry Drummond. It's a great book. And many of his quotes are also in here. So this is an excellent one here just to meditate on uh, day after day. I'm going to start out by reading Hayford's translation of 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verse 4 through 8. And I'll just read it right out of here. Love suffers long, having patience with imperfect people. Amen. But if you're a perfectionist, that is an excellent translation. <laughs> I know. If you're like, uh, uh, your flesh is attacked with a perfectionist. <laughs> uh, I find sometimes that with that translation, uh, the greatest challenge is uh, being patient with your own imperfection. <laughs> Love is patient. Love suffers long, having patience with imperfect people. Love is kind and active in doing good. Love does not envy since it is non-possessive and non-competitive. It actually wants others to get ahead. Well, you can tell as I'm reading this right now, like especially if your flesh is crawling, that this goes contrary to natural human flesh. Because natural human flesh uh, says, what's in it for me? And if you want to find out what's the root of pretty much every relationship problem, it is selfishness and self-centeredness. Well, I, I'm tired. So I, I don't need to respond correctly. I don't need to respond in love because I'm tired right now. Well, that's not what love would do. But if both of you, husband, wife, uh, friend, friend, brother, sister, uh, parents, children, if you endeavor to operate in this kind of love, then your relationship will be heaven on earth. Because if you're tired, if my wife is tired, and I know she's tired and I'm tired, well, then the love of God on the inside of me desires nothing more than to be the one that denies itself for the sake of the one loved, like uh, Weiss translation says, and allow her to rest. But she's endeavoring to do the exact same thing for me. Well, then you have heaven on earth. Because you're both endeavoring to sacrifice what feels good to you for the sake of the other person. Love does not envy since it's non-possessive and non-competitive. It actually wants others to get ahead. Hence, it does not parade itself. Love has a self-effacing quality. It is not ostentatious. Love is not puffed up. 
treating others arrogantly. It does not behave rudely, but displays good manners and courtesy. Love does not seek its own, insisting on its own rights and demanding precedence. Rather, it is unselfish. Love is not provoked. It is not irritable or touchy, rough or hostile, but is graceful under pressure. Love is graceful under pressure. Love thinks no evil. It does not keep an account of the wrongs done to it. Instead, it erases resentments. You know, we, that's kind of like been a, a major thread flowing through this whole series is love thinks no evil. Love thinks no evil. I believe that is the ninth characteristic of love. Love thinks no evil. It's there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love thinks no evil. And let me just uh, reiterate it. Think, uh, thinks no evil is reckons not evil. Literally, in the, uh, in the original Greek, it's, it's to reckon, to deliberate, and so to suppose or to account. And then evil, this, is, this was the most uh, earth-shattering thing for me, that the first part of the definition of evil is a lack in a person or thing of the qualities which should be possessed. So to say love thinks no evil is saying love is not supposing, deliberating, accounting, meditating on basically like you should have this quality and you don't. What's wrong with you? Love does not do that. Instead, love, like Hayford says, love erases resentments. I resent the fact that you forgot my birthday, right? Somebody, if they care about birthday dates, my wife is not one of them. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I got married and I realized that the birthday date and the anniversary date is a fluid date. I guess not necessarily a specific date. Well, if I, for me growing up, it was a specific date. So it was significant if you forgot that specific date. But because I'm walking, endeavoring to walk in love, not perfect at it, we're not perfected in love, but we're on the path, right? And so uh, because of that, well, then I, I walk in love with my wife. And I understand if she remembers my birthday sometime within the 60-day period, 30 days before and 30 days after, she is loving on me. <laughs> now, if she actually remembers it on the actual day, I think it was not last year maybe, but the year before, uh, she actually, she got me a, a gift that was a bit of a surprise, and I think she gave it to me on my birthday. And wow, that was amazing. <laughs> so I'm not bitter about it, uh, but you know, in relationships, I, I was, um, how do I say this non-specifically enough, Lord? I was... Uh, I traveled with uh, Pastor Mark Hankins to a particular church. And uh, when we were at that uh, church, I was uh, praying with another uh, individual before the services about the services. And uh, we're praying about the services. And we picked up, you know, you can you pray for different things. And you can, um, especially if you're praying under authority, you can pick up different things. Well, and so my friend <laughs> said uh, to Pastor Mark, hey, well, we've been praying and this is kind of what we picked up. And he said, I don't want to know that. You know, it was just some, 
you know, um, something that maybe really should be changed. It could help different things to do better. I'm trying to be nonspecific here. And so he said, that pastor is my friend. And that's why I'm going there. And you know, that, that really is a truth. And that's this. You're not perfect and neither am I. But love looks over your imperfections to have relationship with you. It's exactly what God did. While we were sinners, Romans chapter 3 tells us, Christ died for us. That means while we were like uh, manifesting big imperfections or we were making lots of mistakes, we were having lots of issues, uh, that's when Christ looked at us and said, I'm dying for that woman. I am dying for that man. I'm giving my life for them because I don't want them to have to live under the weight of those uh, mistakes, under the weight of those imperfections, under the weight of even trying to be perfect. I want to give them access to my father, to the family that I'm a part of, and into my presence, and I'm going to do it with my very life. I'm going to give up my life. And so, you know, in marriage or any relationship, then there's going to be an element of compromise. Like you don't always get what you want. Sometimes for uh, uh, single people, you know, you kind of, uh, when I was single, I remember thinking, man, I'm just walking in love. I just walk in love. And when a situation would happen that I didn't really prefer, then I would just go home because I'm walking in love. So I go home. And at home, I lived alone. So everyone at home agreed with me. <laughs> if you're single, I'm not picking on you. I'm just, I'm just talking about me. So... Um, it's, if you are single, that's something I would say that you really have to guard because uh, you can pretty much do what you want when you want. Well, you have a job. If you want to keep your job, you need to show up on time and work diligently so you have those limitations. But relationship-wise, you're kind of like uh, on your own. So you've got to look to the Lord and uh, let yourself um, not always do what your flesh wants to do because the love of God, like Weiss translation says, denies itself for the sake of the one loved. In other words, the love of God is looking for how can I sacrifice for you? How can I give something that I want up for you? You know, Jesus told us it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Have you ever really wanted something really bad and you got it? You wanted it so bad and you thought about it so much that when you got it, it wasn't what you had imagined in your mind. It was like, oh. I guess it's nice to have that. Well, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, I've never had that happen when I gave. I found out somebody needed something or wants something, and then I bless them. And I've never had it be like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. It was actually always better than I thought it would be. Giving. Why? Because you're, you're just operating in the love of God and you're operating like God and then God can work with that and flow with that. So, you know, uh, for my birthday or special dates for me, uh, it's not necessarily a big deal. It, it used to be, but I kind of compromised that and said, okay, uh, why? Well, because my wife, is, if you know Melody, she is like the most unmalicious person you could ever think of. Like, there's no guile in her like... Uh, Drummond's talking about guile, guilelessness. Uh, I'm not saying she's perfect, but 
she is like honestly just it, not even thinking about it. <laughs> and if she does think about it, she'll do something for you. And that's what she's doing. Uh, so, you know, if we're like going to go on a date and uh, she were to ever plan something for a date, I would just feel like over the top loved. Because for me to plan something for a date is almost second nature. But for her to do it is like out of this world. So in order for me to walk in love with her and her to walk in love with me, then we have to kind of have some understanding of the other person and understand what they're going through. Uh, and that, that's in life. One of my favorite stories concerning this is a, a uh, minister who was on a public transportation train. And when they're on the train, they saw this father with three little children on there. And the three little kids are just like, going wild, jumping up and down, running around, doing all this type of stuff. And the minister, the minister uh, is kind of judging him or thinking evil of him, really. And he's like, why doesn't he control his children? What's wrong? Don't you know children shouldn't act like that? You shouldn't allow them to do all that. Well, then right before the man with his children got off the train, uh, that minister found out that that man's wife had just died three days before. He didn't even, was kind of like in a cloud, didn't even know what was happening with his children, all this type of stuff. And then, of course, then what, what, how do you think the minister felt? You know, like this high, right? <laughs> well, because why? He's judging. Well, you don't know what somebody's going through. Uh, you, you don't know what, what they've experienced today, what they're going to experience tomorrow, what they experienced yesterday. And yet, it's real easy to just judge people according to what you have been through today. And then you get yourself out of the love of God. Well, Jesus said, we talked about, I think, two or three weeks ago, that the walking in love fulfills all of the law and the prophets over in Romans, we learn. And if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. And the number of your days I will fulfill, God said. What does that mean? Well, walking in love will kind of keep you free from sickness and disease. Because the enemy has no access to you when you walk in love because you're walking in God. So can the enemy put sickness and disease on God? No. no. Actually, God put the sickness and disease that was from the devil on Christ for us. The devil didn't kill Jesus. Jesus freely gave up his life so that we could have life. And so uh, walking in love is, is the primary thing. And if we don't learn to walk in love, we're just going to have shallow relationships. And in relationship, uh, you have to put yourself out there. In other words, if you want to, the Bible says, let him that would have friends show himself friendly. That's one of the funniest things in, the, in life is when people will come and say, I don't have any friends. And I said, well, have you you know, reached out to different people and, well, no, I'm just waiting for them to come to me. Well, you're probably never going to have friends because the Bible says if you want to have friends, you have to show yourself friendly. And so you're actually giving off this persona of, uh, I feel like you don't want to be my friend. Therefore, you feel like you don't want to be their friend because that's the whole atmosphere that's coming off of, off of the person who's not even showing themselves friendly. And so if you want to have friends, you have to show yourself friendly.
All right, so we have gone through. Love, is, love has patience. Patience with people, not with circumstances. Uh, number two, love is kind. It's sweet to all or doesn't have an attitude of criticism. So in other words, I'm not just going to criticize you all the time or look to criticize you. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Love knows no envies. Envy, actually, I was looking some of this up from William Parkley. Envy doesn't just mean I wish I had what you had. That would be jealousy. Envy actually is, I begrudge the fact that you actually have it. So I don't want you to, not only do I want it, I don't even want you to have it. That's called envy, and it's one of the, the, probably one of the more uh, gross uh, manifestations of a lack of love. And so, uh, number four, verse one, excuse me, verse four, number four. Uh, love is not vainglorious. It is not a braggart. Love is not boastful. There is a self-effacing quality in love. True love will always be far more impressed with its own unworthiness than its own merit. Some people confer their love with the idea that they're conferring a favor, but people who really love cannot get over the wonder that they are loved. People who really love can't get over the wonder that they are loved. Love is not puffed up. It is not inflated with its own importance. Really great people never think of their own importance. Let me grab this. Hallelujah. Let me uh, turn off Sprint. If that works, then I'll have to... Tell them that's the one time they had a good signal. <laughs> See, I should walk in love with Sprint, right? But anyhow, praise the Lord. That would fall in the category of Philippians, that love is discerning. <laughs> so love is not always like I like to say, ooey gooey squishy. <laughs> There's a, this little thing on the animal planet. We were staying in a hotel, I don't remember when, but sometime in the last couple of months. And uh, it said that... Um, uh, uh, slimy is the new furry or something like that, or squishy is the new slimy. And so Joel, uh, my youngest, who's the most vocal in the family, he just like shouts out, you know, slimy is the new furry. Slimy is the new furry. And uh, so kind of funny. But love is discerning. So love is not just squishy and ooey-gooey, and tender all the time. No, sometimes love is very stern. Jesus walked in love when he turned over the money changers' tables in the temple. That was an act of love. Why? Because you have made my house a, a house that's supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves, he said. Well, if he lets them keep going that direction, there is no hope for relationship with God. There is no hope for change in their life. They're just on their way to hell and thinking that they're religious and part of the kingdom of God. So how could love do anything else? So, you know, somebody say, well, if you love me, my children say, like, if you loved me, you'd let me play video games all night long. No, if I loved you, I would stop you from playing video games for more than like 10 minutes. So I have a, this is a relationship series, so I have a, a thing with my children, and that is 
if they get upset when I tell them it's time to stop having screen time, then that means they have like no screen time. And then, so if they have issues with it, then I'll tell them, okay, listen, there is a, a chemical I think called dopamine that is released when you do this screen time stuff. And so I'm not going to allow you to be addicted and I'm not going to allow your brain to be damaged by this. And um, this is not this study, but if you notice, like, all of the CEOs of those tech organizations, uh, they don't even allow their children on that stuff at all. So uh, as the, the youngest ones are the most dangerous, and as you get older, it's easier. But there's a lot of adults that are addicted. Well, I say, I'm not going to let myself be addicted to anything. Nothing's going to dominate me except for the Word of God. So if I find myself addicted, well, then I'm cutting that thing out right away. So I do the same thing for my children because I love them. I say, okay, uh, you know, have, is your bedroom clean? Do you have, you know, did you read the Word, feed on the Word, pray? It's summertime, you know, so they have like all day off. Basically, they do their chores and stuff. And uh, I say, okay, did you do all that? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, did you actually do it? Because if you're just reading the word, just like, I want to play. Well, that's, that's not going to bring you any life because it's feeding upon the word of God that actually brings life. Because Jesus said, my words are life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every rhema, really, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how you're going to live. That's how you're going to have life. So with my children, then I'll, I'll basically, because the Bible says to train them. So I have trained them how to use something like that in balance and in a healthy way. Because otherwise, it's just going to like uh, uh, negatively affect them. And some children can be really, really badly affected by it. So uh, I'm not about not letting them have fun and play good, healthy games, but I want them to be healthy. I want to know what game you're playing. And also, I don't want, even if it's a good game, I don't want that uh, reaction. If you have children or if you have adults that like stuff like that, you just know real easily it, it is addicting. And it does cause... Uh, can cause problems very easily. Uh, the people can kind of get upset. I can't do this anymore. So love is not always ooey-gooey or squishy-wishy. Could, you could tweet that or something. Ooey-gooey, squishy-wishy. Love sometimes says, no, I'm not going to let you stay addicted to drugs. Uh, love says, no, I'm not going to let you act that way if you're in authority over them. Why? Well, because it may be easier for me at the moment to let my children just uh, do whatever they want to do. But man, that is not loving them. The Bible actually says, he that hates his children spares the rod. Hates his children. In other words, you're not going to correct them. You're not going to discipline them because you hate them. But if you love your children, you will discipline them and put them in the right direction. And that's not always convenient. In fact, for me, most of the time it's not convenient. Like it's not the best time to be doing this for my schedule. But see, love denies itself for the one that it loves. So I'm going to say, okay, um, I love you enough to stop my schedule so that I can help train you and teach you. And if you really have the right perspective with children, 
uh, what greater privilege do you have in life than, you know, to transfer your faith like um, Timothy's grandmother and mother did to the next generation? That now you have people of faith following after you. All right, love is not envious. Number four, love is not vainglorious. It's not a braggart. It's not boastful. Um, number five, love is not puffed up. It is not inflated with its own importance. Uh, we just did that one. Number six, love acts not unseemly or does not behave gracelessly. Number uh, seven, love seeks not the things of its own. It does not insist upon its rights. In the last analysis, uh, there's really only two kind of people in the world and those who always assist on their privileges and those who always remember their responsibilities. Those who are always thinking of what life owes them and those who never forget that they, what they owe to life. It'd be the uh, key to almost all of the problems that surround us today if people would think less of their rights and more of their duties. Whenever we start thinking about our place, we are drifting away from Christian love. That's Barclay. Whenever we try to think, well, this is my place, this is my right, I need to have this, I deserve this, uh, you're, you're getting out of Christian love. Well, this is very easy to do. Like, I, I do it in my marriage all the time. I shouldn't, and I endeavor not to, but like I say, I'll read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and sometimes I'll read it, and I'll just have inspiration for the day, and I'm just going to go and act that. Other times I read it, and I... All of a sudden, while I'm reading it, I think of yesterday. <laughs> and I'm like, ooh. And I, I, like my flesh will try to justify, like, well, that's because you were tired, or that's because this, or that's because that. No, you just didn't walk in love because you were looking to self and you weren't looking to the Lord. You say, well, this is a pretty high bill. I can't live up to that. You're right. You can't live up to it. You have to let Christ live in you and through you, and you yield to him. That's why if you develop a, a life of yieldedness to him, well, then it would be very easy to yield to this kind of love because you're actually already flowing with him. And so that's why uh, many times when I pray in the Spirit, as I'm led by the Spirit in tongues and in English, I, I pick up a flow, the flow of the Spirit, right, the flow of the Holy Spirit. And as I pray there, and in his presence, I become more and more conscious of God and more and more conscious of who he is. And therefore, I become more and more conscious of his love. And the same uh, direction that he gives me in prayer when I'm praying for uh, people or situations or about situations, the same prompting that I have is the identical same prompting that I have to walk in love. It's the same constraining power. It's the same direction. It's the same illumination it, because the more you become acquainted with the Spirit of God, He is the Spirit of love. When, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of you? The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by Him by the Holy Spirit. And that even happens before you're filled with the Spirit. That's uh, Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Well, none of these things will actually be activated in your life until you act on the Word like it's true because you believe it's true. In other words, until you have an act of faith. So you say, well, I'm a believer, but I'm really having trouble walking in love. Well, meditate on these scriptures right here. You meditate on these scriptures till these scriptures are more real to you than your feelings. And that's when it'll work for you. 
Because when those scriptures become real, that's Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the rhema of God or God speaking to you. So as soon as God speaks to you concerning that, well, you've got it made because you've got faith and faith will change any impossible situation. But faith comes by hearing the rhema of God or hearing the word of God. Greek word is rhema. So that's when God takes and gives light and understanding and all of a sudden you see something that you didn't see. And that comes from God. That can't come from man. So faith is totally reliant upon God. That's why when we talk about faith, uh, a major part of faith is turning away from yourself, self-confidence, anxiety, and what the world could offer you, natural human wisdom. You turn away from that and you turn towards God. And that very act of doing that is a gift of God. Have you ever... um, Felt like you're walking through life and you're, you're just kind of like clouded and you're kind of fuzzy. And you're like uh, almost like you're going through the motions. I'm just going through the motions. You don't even know why you're doing that. Well, Paul told Timothy, you know, pray that the Lord would grant repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that you may escape the snare of the devil and awaken from the darkness. In other words, the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That means he may not devour everybody. But he may devour some people. He may devour mainly people who the next verse says, resist him. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and resist the devil and he will flee. And so uh, even these uh, verses that we're looking at here talk about humility. That love is not proud. Love does not boast. Love is not self-centered. So the second that you get proud and boastful and arrogant, well, you're, you're taking a step out of love. Well, then I know you cannot resist the devil. Because Peter said, First Peter said, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So if you ever, uh, the word always works. So somebody said, I resisted the devil and he didn't flee. Well, you're not telling the truth. Or you're not living in the truth. In other words, you didn't resist him. Humble yourself, and then you can resist the devil. This is why pride goes before a fall, haughty spirit before destruction. And so walking in love will actually sever the access of the enemy to control your life. And walking in love will affect your job as much as your home life. If you want to see the most successful people, they're people who have learned to walk in the love of God. In the business. Why? Well, in business, it's real easy to say, like, you know, if I could just make that person, like, what they're doing look not so good, then I'll get the promotion instead of them. That's not the love of God. Or I'm just going to omit this part. That's not the love of God. No, love puts the other person first. And you'll see uh, those that do that, uh, you seem to have a lot less issues in life. If we had like uh, all the politicians that would actually walk in love, my greatest prayer for all the politicians, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Libertarian, New Party, Old Party, Young Party, Baby Party, is that they walk in love. And it's one of the most foreign things to politics. 
Well, Paul prayed that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. So I pray that for our leaders. I pray many other things for our leaders, but I think one of the biggest things that our leaders need is to walk in love. Hallelujah. Number eight, love is not quickly provoked. We'll probably finish with this one here today. Love is not quickly provoked. Now, I'm going to read from a section from Drummond's book for this one. Love is not quickly provoked. He calls that good temper. So I'm not quickly provoked. Uh, in other words, it takes a lot to get me stirred up, is what love says. The next ingredient is a very remarkable one. Love is not provoked. Nothing could be more striking than to find this here. We are inclined to look upon bad temper as a very harmless weakness. We speak of it as a mere infirmity of nature, a family failing, a matter of temperament, not a thing to take into very serious account in estimating a man's character. And yet here, right in the heart of this analysis of love, it finds a place, and the Bible again and again returns to condemn it as one of the most destructive elements in human nature. The peculiarity of ill temper is that it is the vice of the virtuous. It is often the one blot on an otherwise noble character. You know men who are all but perfect and women who would be entirely perfect but for an easily ruffled, quick-tempered, or touchy disposition. This compatibility of ill temper with high moral character is one of the strangest and saddest problems of ethics. The truth is that there are two great classes of sins, sins of the body and sins of the disposition. The prodigal son may be taken as a type of the first and the elder brother of the second. Remember the story of the prodigal son? So the prodigal son goes to his dad and he's like, you know, hey, I, I, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait. So he gets his inheritance and he goes out and he just wastes it all on getting drunk and, you know, sleeping with women and partying all the time. And all of a sudden he's out of money. He took all his inheritance and he just squandered it away on all this crazy living. And then he finds the only place he has food is he's eating with the pigs. And so he's eating with the pigs and it says he came to himself. And when he came to himself, he said, what is this? I'm eating with the pigs and the people that are serving in my father's house have a better uh, place to live and they have better food to eat than what I do. So he said, I'm just going to humble myself. I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to say, dad, will you let me be one of your servants? But it says the father saw him far off. This is, this is obviously an example of how God looks at those that are not part of his family or those that were part of his family and kind of went away and did their own thing. And he saw him afar off, and he told his servants, he's like, get the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. Get the robe. Get the ring. So immediately he puts him back in his position in the family, in his position of authority. And the older brother, who didn't leave, who didn't even have uh, all of his um, inheritance yet, who did the right thing, he gets upset, and he goes into the corner, and he sulks. He's like, well, you didn't do a fatted calf for me, and I stayed here the whole time, right? He's looking at works of self-righteousness, what he has done. All right, I had to bring you up to speed, okay? Okay. 
Now society has no doubt whether to which of these is the worst. It brands, its brand falls without challenge upon the prodigal. But we are we right? We have no balance to weigh one's another's sins and coarse, as coarser or finer uh, but human words. But faults in the higher nature may be more serious than those in the lower. And to the eye of him who is love, a sin against love may seem a hundred times more base. No form of vice, not worldliness, not greed of gold, not drunkenness itself, does more to unchristianize society than evil temper. For embittering life, for breaking up communities, for destroying the most sacred relationships, for devastating homes, for withering up men and women, for taking the bloom of childhood, in short, for sheer gratuitous misery-producing power, this influence stands alone. Now, is that a quote? Like, when's the last time you heard somebody talk like that? It's one of my favorite quotes in this because it kind of like shakes you, wakes you up. You're like, whoa, uh, you know, being provoked or easily provoked is a big deal, and it really affects your life. And it is very true. Like he said, it's the vice of the virtuous. Many times people will uh, have everything kind of in order, and they're walking with the Lord and following the Lord, but, man, they, get, they lose their temper real easily. Well, that's actually number one from verse 4, which is love has patience. One of the things Barclay said about love has patience is that it, you have it in your power to avenge yourself, but you don't do it. In other words, like well, me with my children, because I'm in authority over them, uh, you know, I could just like uh, really demean them and speak badly over them. Or I could do that with, uh, with people with the Word of God. I don't know as much of the Bible as a lot of people, but I know more than some people. And so you could actually take the Word of God and beat people with it rather than love them with it. Well, that would not be being patient, and that also would not be being meek. Jesus was uh, the meekest on the earth. And so the answer to walking in love is, number one, to be born again, to make Jesus your Lord, because the second that Jesus is your Lord, the Holy Spirit will pour the love of God into your heart. And then if you're a believer, the answer is to feed upon the word concerning walking in love, and then practice it, act it, look for opportunities. You don't have to look very far most of the time. Like you can get an opportunity to walk in love pretty easily because, you know, we have our, our system and everything's in order and here's how we're planning on it happening and we have checked all this type of stuff and then all of a sudden some surprise shows up. Well, depending on your personality, that's easier for you to handle or harder for you to handle. But if you have taken care of all of the details and um, somebody messed this up through negligence or just not paying attention or they just made a big mistake, well, your flesh is going to want to be like, ha! Especially if you worked really hard on a project and you do it and you feel like the other person didn't. And you're like, you're... You're taking care of all of the bills at the house, and you're taking care of, like, all the things that have to be done, the food and the preparations and all of that, and so-and-so doesn't really care. Or, you know, uh, you're taking care of uh, all of the things at the office and at work, and you're staying late, and other people are getting the credit, and uh, you're like, what is going on? Well, you work as to the Lord and not to men. My reward comes from the Lord. I look to the Lord. Love is not quickly provoked. It never flies into a temper. 
Uh, number nine, love reckons not evil. We've studied that for a few weeks. Uh, number 10, love rejoices not at unrighteousness. It finds no pleasure in evil doing. It might be better to translate this sentence as love finds no pleasure in anything that is wrong. Love finds no pleasure in anything that's wrong. Number 11, uh, love rejoices with the truth. Number 12, love covers all things, or it can endure anything. Uh, 13, love believes all things. And 14, love hopes all things. 15, love endures all things. And number 16, love never fails. If there is a failure in relationship, it is a failure of love. And somebody said, well, you know, yeah, but they're not walking in love. I like it. I like and don't like. Pastor Mark Hankins says, you know, that if you notice that, that means you're not walking in love because you notice they're not walking in love. Because love does not take account of the wrong done to it. Right? Well, to love... It is the greatest thrill to be able to deny yourself for someone else. When you know they're making a mistake, or you believe they're making a mistake, because sometimes you think you know and you don't, but you're choosing, I'm going to walk in love. But love is not puffed up, so love is not like, well, I know I'm so much better than them, so I'm walking in love, and they're obviously not. No, love believes the best, and love says, you know what, gives them the benefit of the doubt. You know, yeah, they had a tired day. I've had a tired day. Their day was probably uh, more challenging than mine. But that doesn't come automatically. You have to meditate and act on the love of God, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and you will notice that your relationships will begin to, it'd be like right now if you had a plant that's not been watered, or you had one that had a constant drip of love going into that plant, the water of love, all of a sudden, this flower would just be blossoming, blooming, doing wonderful, and the one without water would be what? Dry and crunchy and almost break off. So you have to walk in love, the God kind of love is practicing that kind of love, And then that makes it show up in your life. Hallelujah. Stand with me if you would. Love never fails. Then Paul goes on to say after that, he said like, you know, other things will cease. But love will never fail. He said, we look through a glass darkly, dimly. And he said that to the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth at that time, they actually, not the church at Corinth, but the city of Corinth, they actually produced mirrors. They were like the biggest mirror-producing place in society in Corinth. Well, we think of a mirror, and you think, I looked in the mirror this morning. I hope you looked in the mirror this morning. Right, make sure everything's in the right place. We think of a mirror as like it's a pretty much an identical reflection. Well, in that day, they would actually use skins for mirrors. It's like looking through a skin 
or they'd have metal that they would fashion, and it'd be akin or the same thing to looking through a skin. So basically, uh, when I was studying it, it said that they would, it would be like having a, a thin sheet, maybe of cloth, and then it's lit behind it, and Dave's behind it, and you can see his shadow, and you see him going here, and you see him going there. And Paul said, we look through a glass dimly, or we look like just a show of things. But he, this is what he's talking about with love. You, your flesh might not understand it all now, but the second that you respond to the love of God that's on the inside of you, it's like it was just then poured into you, even though it was poured in when you became born again. So it's like nuclear weapons. They have this bomb. It has potential power, except exactly the opposite because it creates life instead of destructs life. This bomb has to be activated before it can do anything. But yet, you could have an aircraft right now flying over Washington, D.C. that has a nuclear bomb on it. If they drop that nuclear bomb and it's not been activated, it will not detonate. It'll just put a little hole in the ground somewhere just from its own weight. But even all the potential energy in that bomb, if it is not activated, that bomb will not explode. There is no danger. But if that thing is activated, I mean, depending on the yield of that thing, it could destroy the, the, you know, six million people in the city of Washington, D.C., the region. Well, conversely, it's true. You have the love of God on the inside of you, but you have to activate that love through feeding on the Word and through practicing it. In other words, I am going to walk in love whether anyone else does or not. That was one of Kenneth Hagin's main quotes. He would always say and always live, I'm going to walk in love whether anybody else does or not. So I picked it up for myself. I said, I'm going to walk in love whether anybody else does or not. Well, you sure have some temptations to not walk in love when other people don't. Because you, you spit on me, I spit on you is what the flesh wants to do. But when you allow the love of God to dominate you and you begin practicing it, uh, it'll actually you'll become developed in yielding to that love. And when you develop in love, you develop in God. So there is such a vital connection. Your faith does not even work without love. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, you can have all knowledge, know all mysteries, have all insight, work miracles, even have faith that you could move a mountain. Say to a physical mountain, move and it'll go. But if you have love, don't have love, it doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. Faith without love, uh, faith works by love. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you've never known love because he is love. And he loves you and he died for you and he has a plan for you. You don't come into the family of God and you don't go to heaven because of things that you do, because you do good things, because you are what you consider or other people consider a good person. There, Jesus even said, when they called him good teacher, he said, there is none good but God. There is none good but God. So it doesn't matter how many good things that you do. That is not how you come into the family of God. The only way into the family of God is you have to be born into that family. And the way that you're born into that family is like Jesus told the religious ruler, you have to be born again. 
Born from above, literally, the Bible says. In other words, you have to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, confess Him as Lord, believe that God raised Him from the dead, and the moment that you do that, the moment that confession hits your mouth because of what you believe in your heart, you are made a new creature, brand new. The Bible says every old thing has passed away. All things have become brand new. If you want to start a new life this morning, fresh, pure, clean, never had sinned, then I want you to slip up your hand because God loves you and he wants you to be part of his family and he has a plan for your life that you're not going to live a life of regret, but you're going to live a life of love. Slip up your hand. I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. Number two, if you're here this morning and you were walking with the Lord, but you let, man, just the the drudgery of life or the pressures of life or the busyness of life get in the way of your relationship with God. And you know in your heart this morning, I need to come back to God. Like the prodigal son, I need to come back. Man, God's waiting on you. He loves you. He's prepared a feast for you. If that's you, slip up your hand. I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. And number three, if you're here this morning and you've never been filled with the Spirit and you'd like to be. Well, Jesus said, just wait until you be filled with power from on high. When you are filled with the Spirit, you receive power from God, not only just to live a life for Him, but to be a witness that you can actually get beyond your flesh and all of these other things because you learn, you just yield yourself to Him fully. If you'd like to be filled with the Spirit this morning, slip up your hand and we'll pray with you and for you. You'll be filled. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have loved us with this kind of love, that this is how you look at us, that you are full of patience, full of kindness, full of mercy towards us, Father. Oh, that your thoughts towards us are good and not evil, to give us a hope and a future, that we are well able to possess what you have promised for us. We thank you for your love that you have poured in our hearts. I pray, Father, for every one of us that your love in us would abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that we would approve the things that are excellent, that we would be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.